0: Like I said earlier, to come to know Jesus' love, whether that's for the first time or the thousandth time, it's transformative. It's life-changing. It has the power to deeply change us. Um, In one of his books, the theologian Don Carson, he shared this story about some friends of his named Perry and Sandy Downs. And Perry and Sandy Downs... um, One of the things that they did, part of their ministry, was that they were foster parents for infant children. And so they would bring infants into their homes, sometimes just for a couple or a few days, maybe at most a couple of weeks, uh, before social services could place those infant children in permanent adoptive families. Um, But one day, social services called them and said that they had a unique situation that they wanted to talk to the Downs about, and they, what, what happened was they had two twin boys who are 18 months old, much older than the Downs had, had previously experienced bringing children into their home, and that they needed to, them to stay in their home for an extended period of time, which they ended up staying in their home for about a year and a half after they agreed to this. Um, But when the social worker came and dropped these boys off uh, at their home, the social worker explained that um, these boys, 18 months old, had already been in nine different homes. Um, And in most of these homes, she explained, these boys had been abused. Um, And when they did testing on these boys, they found that they weren't showing a normal range of affect. Uh, That is that they weren't showing a normal range of emotion that children should have even at that stage of life. Um, That first night in their home, the Downs put the boys to sleep and after a few minutes, they realized that something odd was happening, that they had put these two boys down to sleep in their room and there was no sound at all. Here they were in a strange home with strange people They weren't crying at all and so they crept down the hall to peek into their room to look and check on them. And what they saw were these boys sitting together in the room in the dark weeping, but silently. Not making noise at all. Because you see, they had become afraid that if they made noise, they would be beaten yet again. Even at that age, eighteen months went by, and an adoptive family was found. And before the boy, and before the boys who were now three years old left, the social worker came in and did some testing for the boys again. And the social worker told the Downs that she had. Something incredible and amazing to share with them. And she said, The boys are now responding with a completely normal range of emotion for children that age. My question is, what had happened there? Um, What had happened was they had been loved in a family the way they were supposed to be loved, and it changed them. it transformed them. It literally healed them and put their lives back together. You know, I'm the new guy, and so that means, among other things, uh, which means I'll probably screw up something in the service um, later on, so bear with me. But I also don't know your stories. And I don't know your wounds. And I don't know your pain, your brokenness, your disappointments your shame, um, but I think I'm willing to bet that you're at least like me in this way. We all need and we all long for and we all hope for a love that could really deeply and profoundly change our lives. There are probably times in your life Because there have been times like this in my life where it feels almost too scary sometimes or too vulnerable even to admit that longing Um, because there's been so many disappointments and shattered hopes. But I'm telling you, we can't shake it. We were made for this. That longing for a love that could heal us And put us back together, it is in all of us. And I think this little story here gives to us, it just puts before us a great picture of the wonderful, transforming love of Jesus. And it does it in three things in particular that I want to talk about this morning. We see it in Jesus' compassion. We see it in His touch. And we see it in his giving. So those are my three points. Uh, the compassion of Jesus, the touch of Jesus, and the giving of Jesus. First, let's talk for a moment about the compassion of Jesus. His willingness and his desire to enter into the sorrow and grief and pain. I mean, what you see in this story, right, is Jesus' movement. But it's a movement not away from brokenness but a movement towards brokenness. I mean, here's the scene. Jesus was on His way into this town called Nain. But at the same time, He's going into the town. There's a group that's coming out of the town. A funeral procession was leaving the town. And Jesus crossed paths with this widow who was leaving the city to go and bury her son. And when He saw her, verse 13 says, he had compassion on her. But just think about this woman just for a moment. I mean, The first thing is, this is not the first time she's walked this path. Right? She's a widow. She had, already be- she had already buried her husband. And now Luke wants us to know she's walking that path again, and it's not just that she's burying her son. It's that she is burying her only son, Luke says. I mean, as terrible as it was for her to lose her husband, at least she had a son. And in a patriarchal society, that was a big deal. I mean, she still, with a son, had the hope of provision and protection and justice. But when her only son died, so did her hope. I mean, she was completely alone. She was going to be destitute, powerless, and helpless in this society. And so when Jesus saw her, He had compassion on her. You know what I think? i never noticed this until this week when I was looking at this. What's really unique about this story is this. No one. Not the widow. Not her friends. Not the pallbearers. No one even asked Jesus to get involved. I mean, no one said as much as please to Jesus. All He did was see her, and it moved Him to compassion. All He did was set her His eyes on her. That's how loving He is. That's how eager and how desirous Jesus is to enter into the broken places of our lives. And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her. And you know, the Greek word there for compassion, it's not a word like we would use for some kind of detached sympathy. It's a word that actually means to enter into and share in another's grief and sorrow at the most basic, gut-wrenching, elemental level. Let me read you one of my favorite quotes. It comes from a book by John Stott uh, called The Cross of Christ. And he writes this. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? He writes, I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of this world. But each time, after a while, I have had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. And this is what he writes. That is the God for me. He laid aside His immunity to pain. He entered into our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered all the way in. He moved towards the brokenness and not away from it. Let me say one more little thing before I move on to the next um, point. I think you've probably noticed this in your life. I I don't know if you've called attention to it or not yet, but um, we are very conflicted in our relationships uh, because what we really want... And what we really long for is the ability to be transparent with others. To be vulnerable with others. To We want there to be a relationship where we can really let down our guard and be who we are. But here's the conflict. There's nothing that terrifies us more than that in life. Right? Because we're terrified that if anyone ever really saw us as we really are, if anyone ever really knew what we're like or really knew what was in our heart, we're afraid they would be horrified and they would run away from us screaming. But listen, Jesus, he knows you and me to the very bottom of our soul, just like he knew this woman without her ever speaking a word. And his response is not to move away from brokenness, but to move toward it so that you would be fully known and completely loved at the same time. And let me just ask you as we move on to our second point, what if that was true? What if it was really true? It would set you free and it would change you and it would begin to heal your life. All right, second, let's talk about the touch of Jesus. If you haven't met them, I have four little kids who are here this morning. Um, get broken in this afternoon at the crawfish boil. Um, and we have four little kids, and I think when we had children, I know I was not prepared for the amount of times I would have to say, "Don't touch that." Um, you know, whether it's "Don't touch that," you're going to break it. Don't touch that you 're going to get hurt don't touch that that 's disgusting whatever it is when you follow Jesus around in the gospels you you realize this he is always touching things he is not supposed to touch I mean later in this chapter in this chap, in this very chapter later in chapter seven there's a scandal because Jesus lets this sinful woman touch him and wipe his with her hair and her tears. But there were people like lepers that no one was supposed to go near or touch, but Jesus touched them. And in verse 14 of our passage, it says he came up and touched the buyer and the bearers stood still. Of course they stood still because no one was supposed to touch death. Right, you can read about all this in Numbers chapter 19 if you want. Um, Anyone who touched a dead body, anyone who touched a human bone, or touched a grave, or touched someone who touched a dead body, they were unclean. Right, whoever touched a dead body directly or indirectly was immediately unclean for seven days and had to do certain ceremonies if they would ever be considered clean again. Now, I want you just to hold on to that thought for a moment about how touching death would make someone unclean, and then we're going to come back to it in just a moment. Jesus came up and touched the buyer in verse 14, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. I mean, just like that, like it was nothing. It's just effortlessly a resurrection from the dead. And when the crowd saw it, they said, what? a great prophet has arisen among us. All the biblical scholars that you can read will will say the same thing, that what's happening here is the people were remembering a story from the Old Testament. They were remembering the story of a prophet named Elijah. right? Because you can read about this in in 1 Kings 17 where Elijah raised a a widow's dead son. Um, And so they're remembering this prophet now, I feel like I need to apologize for this up front, but uh, preachers just overuse Lord of the Rings. But it, it fits well here. Um, so I'm going to use it. Um, in Tolkien's last book, um, if you've read the books, uh, A- Aragorn, he goes to the houses of healing in Gondor, where all the, the injured and the dying and the dead were kept. Um, and he started laying his hands on people and touching people. And they started getting healed. Um, And then he came to Eowyn. And she was dead and cold laying there. And this is what Tolkien wrote. Aragorn stooped, stooped and looked into Eowyn's face. And it was light as a lily, cold as frost, and hard as graven stone. And Aragorn said, Eowyn Eowyn's daughter, awake." For your enemy has passed away. Awake. The shadow is gone. And listen to this. All darkness is washed clean. And she was brought from death to life. And everyone in Tolkien's story, everyone is looking on and they're seeing this and they're amazed. And they start whispering back and forth to one another. Because like the people in our passage, they were looking backward. And they started to remember an old, old prophecy that had passed, been passed down. And this was the prophecy. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And so shall the rightful king be known. The touch of Jesus. His authority to reach right into death and to bring life. In Jesus, in this passage, He was claiming His kingship. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. Now that's astounding on its own. But you know what else is astounding in this passage? What's astounding is what Jesus didn't do. Right? What He never did when He touched someone or something that was unclean, He never went to get ceremonially clean Himself. Why is that? I mentioned earlier we have four kids, and so... We've learned some lessons in our house about dirty and clean. Um, We've seen what happens when muddy feet run through the house. Or when dirty hands are wiped on the walls. Or when kids who are not supposed to eat in the living room eat in the living room and spill something on the carpet, right? And every time I've seen it, without fail, the same thing has happened. The thing that's unclean comes into contact with what is clean. And the clean gets unclean. I hope you see where I'm going with this. Luke is telling us for the first time in history, clean and unclean came in contact. Clean touched unclean for the first time, and the unclean became clean. Because Jesus is cleanliness itself. He is life itself. He never, by never going to ceremonial washing, Jesus was saying, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer and anyone who comes in contact with me. Anyone I touch, no matter how unclean, becomes clean. So let me say this before I move, move on to the last point. Some of you in here, I don't even know you, but I know this. Some of you have wondered this past week maybe you're wondering it right now at this very moment. You wonder if maybe you are beyond the reach and beyond the touch of Jesus. I mean, the shame you feel maybe over the things you've done or the things you've said or the things you've thought or the things you've looked at and you feel unclean beyond the touch of Jesus. We could talk about that for a long time, but just look. Here was a young man who had suffered the full and final consequence of sin, death itself. So deep is Jesus' love for you, you can never be too far gone for Him. It doesn't matter who you are, or where you've been, or what you've done with ease. Jesus just lifts this man right through death itself to life. If Jesus touches you, He will make you clean. Like Tolkien wrote, in him all darkness is washed clean. And to know his cleansing love is to begin to find freedom to break the cycles of shame and death in your life. It will change you and transform you. Alright, so this story puts the transforming love of Jesus before us by showing us his compassion, by showing us his touch. But third and finally... It also shows us the giving of Jesus. We're told in verse 15 that after Jesus raised this boy to life, Jesus gave him to his mother. It's mean, such a simple little phrase, but it's telling us something, I think, very, very profound. It's telling us that Jesus gave his mother back what the fall in sin had taken from her. John Knox, 16th century Presbyterian, once wrote, by Jesus' most holy brotherhood, whatever we lost in Adam is restored to us again. Whatever we lost in this world, you know, whatever was plunged into sin and ruin and misery is restored to us in Jesus. See, for for the Bible... Death isn't limited to the physical act of dying. Death is present wherever life is diminished, wherever life is dulled. Its icy fingers come and it pervades sickness and loneliness and fractured relationships and frustrated careers and suffering and sorrow and greed and bitterness and self-centeredness. Here's what we're being told. Jesus came into this world to give you back what the fallen sin took from you. He came to restore your humanity and mine. He came to mend the brokenness, to remake the world in all its glory, and to remake it for you. This is an old reference, but I'm guessing it's at least 10 years old now. And so it, it is going to be a spoiler, um, so you're just ten years behind. But um, Slumdog Millionaire is a movie that came out, you know, a while ago, and it's this love story about a boy and a girl who grew up on the streets and in the slums of Mumbai, India. Um, the characters are the boy is Jamal, uh, Jamal Malik, and the girl is Latika, and the movie traces their lives growing up and. Though they were in love, they just keep getting separated throughout the movie um, and throughout the story. And as you watch their stories unfold, you see just the incredible hard and harsh circumstances of their lives, the, the suffering and the pain and the terror of what they experienced growing up in the slums of Mumbai. And their lives, as a result we're left with scars. uh, Metaphorically, but also even literally. uh, Because at one point in this story the girl, Latika, someone takes a knife and cuts her down the side of her face on her cheek. And she's left with this horrible scar running down her cheek. Well, finally, at the end of the movie, Jamal and Latika, they're reunited at the train station, I think, and um, and you get a close-up, all of a sudden, of her face. And in particular, the side of her face where she has that scar. And as they reunited, Jamal pulls her close and he presses his lips to that scar and kisses her. And if you've ever seen the movie, you, you know this. As soon as that happens, the entire movie starts to play in reverse. I thought I sat on the remote the first time I saw it and hit the rewind or something um, because it started backing up. And really, the director of that movie was trying to communicate something. He was saying that kiss, that love had the power to reverse and undo all the pain and all the wounds and all the scars and had the power to rewrite her story completely. But this story in Luke 7 is saying Jesus came into the world to kiss the brokenness and to not just rewrite your story, but to rewrite all of history. He came into this world to give you back what the fall and sin took from you. You see, the people in this story, we mentioned this earlier, when they saw what Jesus did, they started remembering. They started looking back to another story, the story of Elijah. But I think Jesus, he most definitely would not have been looking backward, but would have been looking forward to another death and to another resurrection, his own. I mean, that's the story of the gospel, that in compassion and mercy, and in grace, God moved towards the brokenness. Right? Verse 16. The people said, God has visited His people. He entered in and He took on flesh and He came to so closely identify with you and me in our brokenness and in our sorrow and in our sin. He became sin for us. He didn't come into this world just to touch death. He came to embrace it fully in the place of His people. You know, the author of Hebrews tells us something amazing about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12. He tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising its shame. And he asks the question, what was the joy that was set before Jesus? It was you. It was me. What was the joy that moved him in his compassion to enter in and fully embrace death? It was you. You cannot be more fully known and completely loved than you are in Jesus. So whether it's the first time or the thousandth time, come to him by faith. Come to Jesus. His hands are the hands of a healer. He alone is willing. He alone is able to make you clean. Let's pray together.